Hi, welcome back to Gen Z Generalized. This is your host, Chloe Gerhardt, per usual. So, since it's March, and it's very late in March, and I've kind of procrastinated doing an episode this month. Um, but anyway, since it's March, that's Women's History Month. So I decided to do two episodes, which I'll record separately, but they'll be kind of on the same topic. The first one will be about the first wave of feminism in the U.S., and the second will be about the second wave of feminism in the U.S. So obviously this one is going to be about the first wave, which I find super interesting, not as quite as interesting as the second wave, but I think it's um, very nice and easy to learn about the first wave because it all kind of happens together and there's not as much division as the second wave. So I'll just start with a basic overview of the start of the first wave of feminism in the U.S. So it really started in 1848 at the Seneca Falls Convention. So it was originally called the Women's Rights Convention, and about 300 people attended, which included like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Frederick Douglass. They both gave speeches there. Um, and like, so that was on July 19th and 20th at Wesleyan Chapel in Seneca Falls, New York. And over the next two or three years, the people who attended the convention reconvened at various places to kind of get their thoughts together. And out of this came the Declaration of Sentiments, which named 19 major grievances against women and then listed 11 resolutions to those grievances, which would grant women their full rights as humans. And so the ninth resolution that was mentioned in this was the right to vote, a.k.a. suffrage. So, since the Seneca Falls Convention was in 1848, that obviously took place before the Civil War, and so during the Civil War, not much happened with the movement because everybody was focused on other things, and then a lot of the feminists of the time also turned to an abolitionist movement, so these two are very closely intertwined. You can also research that, which is really, really interesting, I think, too. But anyway, after the... American Civil War, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, who previously did not really interact with each other much, joined together and created the feminist newspaper called The Revolution. So that was in 1868. And this focused on women's right to vote and helped them to launch a large-scale suffrage movement in the U.S. So, and then a year after the revolution was started by Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, those two women, along with some others, got together to form the National Women's Suffrage Association, or the NWSA, which took a more radical approach, such as denying the 15th Amendment, unless it included women's suffrage as well. So that was very different from what other suffragettes thought at the time, because a lot of suffragettes also supported the abolitionist movement. So denying the 15th Amendment, which gave African American men the right to vote, would be seen as like a big no-no, like because they were kind of working for both causes, but the NWSA was working strictly for women's suffrage. So in opposition to the NWSA was the AWSA, or the American Women's Suffrage Association, which was founded in the same year, which would be 1869, and they adopted a more moderate state-by-state -state approach to achieving full suffrage, so they wanted each state to amend their constitution to allow women to vote instead of doing a whole amendment to the Constitution and making the country as a whole vote. So after some competition between these two associations, they eventually combined in 1890 
to create the National American Woman Suffrage Association because they wanted to, they were ultimately fighting for the same goal, so why have two different organizations? And so even after they both combined into the NAWSA, um, there was still kind of division between certain feminists who thought certain things, one of them being Alice Paul, who I loved. Um, she experienced more militant tactics that were taken by British feminists earlier in the decades. Um, so she really didn't like how calm and kind of laid back the NAWSA was. So she founded her own um, thing, which was the Congressional Union for Women's Suffrage, which later became the National Women's Party, which is still a thing today, actually. So she founded this in 1913, along with Lucy Burns, who she was also with during her time in Britain. So they kind of founded this, and this was their organization, and they helped organize stuff with it. But before founding that, they were still involved with NAWSA. So they were kind of involved with both, but their organization really helped to gain media attention for the suffragette cause. So before Alice Paul went on to found the National Women's Party, she still worked with NAWSA, like I said, and one of the major things she did with the NAWSA was the 1913 Women's Suffrage Procession. Um, so this took place the day before Woodrow Wilson's inauguration in 1913 so Alice Paul and Lucy Burns this they helped they were the main organizers in this and they staged one of the largest suffragette protest marches in the country at the time so this procession was led by Inez Milholland aka the woman right who was riding on top of a white horse wearing kind of a white toga type thing um, she was an activist and a criminal lawyer and she spoke for women's causes she was kind of the face of Paul's movement for a time until she ended up dying while she was actually on a tour giving speeches and everything but she was seen as a really strong woman and she was very beautiful everyone said she was the most beautiful suffragette which is why Paul pushed her to be the face of it because she was a good speaker and she was very very captivating so following Inez on the horse were various floats and each of them presented an argument women's suffrage so there was over 20 floats and they all presented a different argument and had different things on them that kind of represented femininity and various things associated with women and why they should gain the right to vote so after these floats then there were women groups of women from each state with banners and posters representing their states with slogans and things on them so there would be like a group from Alabama, then like Alaska, and they all followed each other with their posters saying their states. So while these women were all marching for their states and for suffrage, many of them were harassed by the men in the crowd watching, but the police around them, the police protection that they had ordered, did nothing. So due to the police not doing anything, Paul and the marchers stay in the newspaper headlines for the months to come, because a lot of them took these men to trial and did things like that. So it was kind of a good thing, I guess, because it allowed them to stay in the media and to promote their cause even further. This march, however, did have some conflict in it. So Alice Paul, she wanted to avoid conflict with the suffragettes from the South, um, because obviously 
we know from other parts of history, the South was the traditionally the more racist part of the country. So she organized for the black marchers to be in the back of the parade. However, many of these black women who wanted to march later joined their individual states. They kind of went off to the side and then they caught up with their individual states. So yes, they were segregated against, but many fought against it, including Ida B. Wells Barnett, who I also love. So definitely research her if you have the chance. So that's just one of the many protests and marches that Alice Paul organized with her followers. She also did a lot of hunger strikes whenever her and her followers were in prison. She actually ended up being force-fed by guards many times, and they actually had to release her and a bunch of her other um, women that were in her group because they were endangering themselves, and so that allowed them to get into the media pretty easily. So the hunger strikes and the, and the parade wasn't the only thing that Alice Paul did. She also organized pickets in front of the White House to take place during World War I, and the suffragettes would hold signs that said, Mr. President, how long must women wait for liberty? And they had some other slogans too, but they would stand at the White House gates, and eventually some of them would be arrested, which would lead to some more hunger strikes. But this kept them in the media for a very, very long time as well. So after World War I ended in 1918, President Woodrow Wilson officially announced his support for women's suffrage and the 19th Amendment took two more years to get approval from the 36 states it needed, so two-thirds of the states, to be passed into legislation. So the 19th Amendment was not passed until 1920, which this year is the 100-year anniversary of the 19th Amendment, and I get to vote this year, which is super exciting. <laughs> So even after women gained suffrage, Alice Paul and the National Women's Party still pushed for other things, one of these being the Equal Rights Amendment, which was not ratified, um, but it would actually come into play later during the 1970s and the second wave of U.S. feminism, which I will get to in my next episode, so I'll be focusing more on that. But this kind of sets up how women got suffrage and how it kind of sets the stage for second wave feminism and eventually third and fourth wave, which fourth wave is still kind of going on, but I'm just going to focus on first and second because they are a lot more interesting and they're a lot longer than the other two waves. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, feminism and the history of feminism is something that's really near and dear to my heart and I really, really love to learn about it. So if you um, follow me on Instagram or anything like that. Make sure to message me if you have any questions because I will try to answer them to the best of my ability and I would really, really enjoy answering them and talking about this. So, all right, until next time with the second wave of U.S. feminism.